0: Hi everyone, Steve Perriman again on the Steve Perriman Podcast. Uh, Today is a bit different because of the the match against Aston Villa being off uh, and the Fulham game now being on. Um, If you remember, we did make a podcast a couple of weeks ago with regard to Fulham, that's sort of been wasted, but won't be wasted now because we're just going to have a brief chat, the three of us, Tom, Howard and Steve, with regard to current events, especially the the cup draw and the reason for the cup draw, be it the victory at Marine. So good evening, chaps. How good, are thank you? Thank you. Good, Howard. And you, Tom?
1: Yeah, very well. Thanks, Steve. How are you?
0: Good. Yeah, fine. Thanks. So uh, any comment about the Wickham away?
2: We played there in 2017 in the fourth round. I, I remember particularly because we were actually having a week's holiday in Florida with Ray and V. And, ah, that's right. And I was trying to get somewhere we could watch it, but we couldn't. So we ended up listening on the radio. Um, but it was, of course, it was an amazing game because Wickham murdered us. They were two up, I think. And then Son got one back and then they went three, two up, three, one up, three, two up. Um, Ali got one in the last minute, and Son got one in the 97th minute to win 4-3. I mean, incredible.
0: And that game was at White Hart Lane, wasn't it?
2: Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: Tom, were you at that game?
1: I was. Yeah, I was in the uh, I was in the North Stand next to the big chunk of uh, the, the big gap that was missing from uh, from White Hart Lane that season, and uh, it was actually quite a notable match because uh, we saw a, a Vincent Janssen goal as well. He he actually yeah, scored. He scored. He, he scored the uh, a penalty in the sixty fourth minute, which put us three two up. Um, yep. Sorry, sorry, not three two up. Um, got us back to two all even. And uh, and then as as Howard said, uh, Wickham scored with seven minutes to go to make it three two to them. And then a, a late show from Ali and Son saw us go through.
0: Well, tiredness plays a part in all of this. Can I just tell you how my team Exeter gained out of that? Their next game was in the following midweek, away at Exeter, and I think they were in a better condition than we were in terms of league position, and they absolutely died a death, which is no surprise, is it, after the elation and the emotion and being so close to the win. So... Um, that uh, closeness of that game led to a, a, a victory for Exeter, which we were very grateful of, I have to say. And then, of course, we don't really need to talk about Everton and Sheffield Wednesday because, who knows, it may not happen. Or if it does, which one of the two is it going to happen against? But you you had a, a comment about
2: those two teams, Howard? I think, Jess, we were saying that um, they met in the final, I think it was 60, 65 around there. And uh, yeah, miss, miss. Sheffield Wednesday were the underdogs, but they took a 2-0 lead and looked to be coasting. And late on, Ever- Everton scored three late goals, two of which I think were by Mike Trebilco, who they all raised praise is going to be the big new superstar, but he never quite made it.
0: Absolutely. Well well, well done, Mike. I wonder how, where he is these days, hopefully alive and kicking. So, um, so Yeah. Um, and how about the Marine performance, Tom? You first.
1: I really enjoyed the game. I thought it was um, played in a really nice spirit. Uh, we showed, yeah, and Jose showed plenty of respect with the team he chose. Um, also the subs he brought on, I think, for for, for those guys to, to to see Gareth Bale walking onto the, the pitch in the second half um, must have given a an equal mixture of trepidation and uh and pure amazement. Um and especially for the fans who live in the, the houses that surround the ground as well. Um I don't know if any of you saw that tweet of the chap who uh who just leant out of his window, let out his bedroom window and said, There's Gareth Bale, took a picture of him just uh, from from the view of his uh of his own bedroom. Um but no I enjoyed it. I thought the youngsters did well yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, I thought the youngsters did well. It was great for um, Alfie Devine to become our, uh, well, there's, there's a bit of debate over whether he is our, our record youngest goal scorer. Um, a lot of the publicity yesterday was saying that he is our youngest ever goal scorer um, at the age of 16, but then also Bobby Buckle is uh, back back in the early days, supposedly scored for us when, uh, when he was 13 or 14, I think. So uh, there's one for the statisticians to fight over. All
0: right. Sure. Howard, anything about Maureen?
2: I thought it was, as, exactly as Tom said, a very professional performance and showed him a lot of respect. And uh, you wonder what would happen had that, that shot of theirs not hit the bar, but I think it was only del- delaying the inevitable. And um, I think we come about, about it with our heads held high, for the way that the whole club behaved.
0: Yeah, I think the, um, as I said on the last podcast, I think the, the the classy actions of our supporters, not really highlighted enough by the BBC, I do feel um, the amount of money that the supporters have put into that club and the respect that they were treated with was was absolutely amazing. Um, I really liked the young players. I liked particularly Harvey White. I think he played with so, he looked like an experienced player, the way that he was playing the ball off. He knew when to take one or two touches or play the ball through the gap or play sideways or play long. He looked like he could make very good decisions. And I phoned John McDermott today, who I know has left now and joined the FA, but he's been responsible for a lot of those young talent coming through because you're not talking about 16, 17, 18. You have some of these players from eight years of age. And... um, he was saying that his only disappointment with Harvey White was the fact that he is such a special free kick set piece specialist. <laughs> and unfortunately, that didn't show on the day. But, uh, but well done to them all, Alfie Devine and Jack Clark. Jack Clark, I'm learning, was, was a, a, a young sign-in from Leeds. And I suppose looking at it, we've also got a lot of players out on loan, like Oliver Skip, I'm sure there's more than that. But, you know, if they weren't out on loan, they would have probably stepped up to this game as well. So it just shows you the strength and depth that there is at the club and, and long may that continue. Um, so, yeah, thank you for listening. Um, I just want to say well done to my wife, Kim. I know you like an update now and again that we're we've recovered from COVID, she has volunteered to, to serve in the local shop here, um, like a community shop, and so she's had a couple of days training, and tomorrow, um, Tuesday, is her first day uh, in action as such, probably part of it on her own, I think they'll trust her on her own, but some of it with, a, with another helper. So uh, I wanna wish her well and say well done to her. That's the way of getting involved in the local community when you move to a, a new place and meet new people. So, um, so well done to her. A Couple of names I left out of the Fulham podcast a couple of weeks ago. One was Johnny Haynes. He was known as the first 100 pound a week footballer. He was a top class player, played for England. Um, not necessarily a high-profile club, Fulham in those days, okay, we're in the top league, but, but uh, not a high-flyer as such. And uh, he was rated as one of the best passers in the game. And uh, there was a sort of a little bit of a link with me, because um, when I played for England school boys at Wembley against Scotland, uh, in the papers the next day, they have to link you with someone, which is very unfair, but they said Steve Perriman is the next Johnny Haynes. Well, I wish. And uh, it took me quite a few years to reach the £100 a week mark, but um, I must have done at some point. But, um, but yeah, Johnny Haynes was a was a player that Bill Nicholson was a big fan of, and every judge in the country thought Johnny Haynes would end up playing for, uh, for Tottenham on stage. And actually the same for George Cohen. George Cohen with the the World Cup um, 66 winner's medal, uh, done a great job at right back there. It was always thought that he was going to join Tottenham, but uh, neither of them did in the end. And uh, another lad I know simply because of our sports shops, Tosh Chamberlain. Tosh Chamberlain was one of the old-fashioned pros who would smoke a cigarette um, before the game and at half time and definitely at the end. And he was a rep who used to come in our shop and um, work for a company called Hancock, I think, who we were a bit of a factor in company. He served us with lots of small items, so you you were very pleased to see Tosh because he he was a funny chap and uh, always had a football story, and used to tell a story about this day he's on the wing and he's waiting to be served the ball by Johnny Haynes. And every time he called for the ball, Johnny Haynes looked at him and turned away and went in the other direction. And uh, eventually Tosh got fed up with this. So he went and sat in the front row of the stand and took a fag from the the chap he was sat next to and started puffing on the fag saying to the crowd, how can I play with that? Supposedly great player, supposedly the best passer you've ever seen. And he never gives me a pass. So um, I thought I need to give uh, Tosha mention. So great, great character. One of the old time characters. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Howard. And thank you, Tom, for being part of it. Um, hope you all enjoy the Fulham podcast from, from some time back. And if you've already heard it, you might not want to listen to it again. But uh, thanks for listening. And we'll see you soon. Come on, you Spurs.
2: Today we're going back to Fulham in January 1984, the third round of the FA Cup, actually the first time we'd ever met them in a cup, in an FA Cup match. Fulham are one of a small group of teams that nobody hates. They're always popular. I first heard about them back in the 60s, when their chairman was Tommy Trinder, who was a very well-known comedian who played playhouses that put on variety shows all over the country. The acts would often include dancing singers magicians and others. Music hall was dying a death by the by the 60s as radio took over prime entertainment. This was in initially many shows that had succeeded by moving from music hall to radio but when they started doing ventriloquists on on radio the end was surely nigh. And trust me they did do that. So back to the match at funeral at Fulham <laughs> We had arranged to meet a possible mother's help who was coming from her home in the north for an interview. Her train was going to be coming into Victoria so it'd be easy for us to collect her after the match. This was in the days before the mobile phones. When she got to her local station, she discovered that all the trains on that line had been suspended. To her great credit, she remembered that we were going to a match at Fulham. She found the number for Fulham and persuaded them to make an announcement. As the players were on the pitch warming up, the PA system came to life saying, Would Mr. and Mrs. Goldstein please make themselves known to a steward? Ray and Stevie and Gary Stevens were all on the pitch and heard the announcement. Do you remember that, Steve?
0: I do, absolutely. I thought someone was pregnant and giving
2: birth. I was doing my best.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
2: It was in that game that Ray Clements not only broke a finger, he also fell badly on his shoulder. In those days, you were only one sub and then that sub was unlikely to be a keeper. So Graham Roberts went in goal and kept a clean sheet, resulting in a nil-nil draw. That's when Tony Parks came into the side and remained there for the most of the season. We won the replay two nil, and as good as Tony Parks was, there was no doubt who would be the choice, first choice keeper next season. The next time we met Fulham in the FA Cup was in 1998 third round at home. We won 3-1 with our first goal Scored by Stephen Clements, son of Ray. That's full of stories. Well done,
0: Stephen. Well done, Stephen. Going back to the uh, the cup, the cup game that you mentioned, Howard, and the replay, um, Robbo did fantastic. I've seen it on YouTube, and uh, typical Robo, up and at him. Uh, put his head in where where most people wouldn't put their foot in. So we, he managed to get us the nil-nil draw and the the replay that you quite rightly said, we won 2-0. Robbo did score with Archie and uh, I just remember it being such a brutal game. Really? I don't, I don't know if there was any overhang for the first game, but it was, was particularly brutal. So I want to talk about um, two games we had against... Fulham in the old second division, we won 1-0 at home and Peter Taylor reminded me that Teddy Maybank, ex of Chelsea, had a, had a goal disallowed that we all thought should have been allowed and uh, the, the second game was on the 4th of February seventy eight, and it won all, Peter Taylor scored in very, very wet conditions. And um, it was another hard-fought competitive. We both teams slugged it out. Fulham were struggling near the bottom of the league, but they obviously were not a bad team by any means. Uh, but Peter Taylor broke away from the halfway line and went against the goalkeeper, one, one against one, and took it past him. And therefore, everyone would bet money that it was going to be a, a, a walking goal. Peter unfortunately lost his footing, in. And um, I did have a laugh with Peter today um, because Peter Taylor was a very funny guy. I got very close to him. Um, we, we roomed together for, for a few years when he was at Spurs. And Peter had this trick. Um, you're talking about music called earlier, Howard. Norman Wisdom used to sort of trip himself up when he was walking along. Yep. Um, Peter Taylor performed affected this so if he was going to present prizes at a school or wherever he was he always threw this trip and I said to him Pete you weren't doing a normal wisdom that day where you're at Fulham when you when you tripped over and therefore we didn't get the second goal but that was a good um uh, that was two good games for us uh, we didn't outplay Fulham by any means. And when you think that we we made it by the skin of our teeth uh, to to get promoted that year, then obviously the the two results against Fulham that year were were vitally important. So yeah, um, I'm gonna leave you with a story of, um, I got invited to go to Fulham as an away legend. Not the sort of thing I normally did, but um, got invited. So I went and that to meet a player called Les Strong, who was going to take me around the various lounges. That was the point of having an away, so-called away legend there. So he takes me into this particular lounge. There's about hundred people in there and uh, Les, everyone was quiet and Les said, asked the question about himself. So does anyone know who I am? And no one answered. So Les said, okay, well, you must be Spurs people then. Bearing in mind, this is at Craven Cottage. He said, so I'll introduce myself. My name is Les Strong. I played for Fulham for 10 years, left back. And my claim to fame was that I used to room with George Best at away games in that famous spell when George Best went to Fulham and Bobby Moore and Rodney Marsh and Alan Mullery. He said, well, I say I room with George Best at away games, but actually he was never there. So at the away hotel every Friday night, um, the manager would phone about 10.30 at night. I'd pick the phone up, say, hello, Les, is uh, George in bed? And I'd say, yeah, because he probably was, (laughs) but he was never in my room. So um, that, that tells a little story about, George Best so uh, thank you for listening Um, let's all be positive Um, keep the faith and uh, come on you Spurs